Well, good morning, everyone. Pastor Ben will be back with us next Sunday. And uh, listen, I, I know what it's like to walk into church and the senior pastor is not teaching. I know what that feels like. I was in your shoes at one point as well. And listen, I can tell you that there's no one more excited for Pastor Ben to be back than me. <laughs> After teaching last week and this week, I think I mentioned this last year, that teaching back-to-back is like delivering a baby on Sunday and then finding out you're pregnant again on Monday. (laughs) It's brutal. I don't know how he does it, but I am grateful for our pastor. You know, he, he does an amazing job teaching 40 or 42 Sundays out of the year, and he does it at a high level while leading this church in a great way, serving this church. And so we're thankful for him that he's going to be back. But he's going to be kicking off a brand new series called Formed, which is going to be on the spiritual disciplines. The goal of this series is to help us discover ways that we can partner with God so that we can become who he intends for us to be. We're going we're gonna to use a book Uh, to guide us throughout this series. The book is called Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. This book is considered a classic as far as Christian books are concerned. It's a great book. So if you want to follow along and uh, and read through the book, feel free to purchase it. You can buy it online or on Amazon. Um, But be sure to join us next Sunday. It's going to be a great and helpful series. But today, today is the last message of the Enter the Story series. And I was 18 years old when I entered the story that God is writing. I know that it doesn't always happen like this, but I can recall the exact time and place when I accepted God's invitation. You see, I I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I I, I was a, a major skeptic of all religions. But at 18, I found myself doing some serious searching for some serious answers. So I agreed to, to go on a weekend youth retreat with uh, the church I had been visiting for just a few months. And at that retreat, I had this feeling, even though I wasn't a Christian, I felt like a hypocrite. I felt duplicitous in some way. I couldn't reconcile my presence at church, yet my life was unchanged. There was a disconnect, and I didn't like it at all. And so I remember at that retreat saying, God, I just need to know that you are real. I just need to know that you are real. And the only way I know how to describe what happened next is that when I said that for the very first time in my life, I opened myself up to him like I, hadn't, like I never had before. Because at that very moment, I encountered a very big God in a very personal way. And my life has never been the same since. I had heard of him, but now I knew him in a completely different way. So as we wrap up this series today, I just want to remind us about the purpose of this series. That God is writing a story and he is inviting you to enter and play a part in it. In our passage for today... We are going to look at a time when the Apostle Paul was in Athens. He was surrounded by people that didn't know God or worship him. But it was a type of place where everything else was worshipped. And seeing this really shook Paul at his core. I mean, it did something to him. But rather than just getting on his soapbox to cast judgment, 
he introduces the people of Athens to a big and personal God. He introduces them to a God that is like no other with the hope that they will open themselves up to him and enter the story that he is writing. So today, we're going to look at Paul's address to the people of Athens and see what we can learn about this big and personal God. Okay, we're going to be in Acts chapter 17. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. One of our volunteers will come around and hand you a Bible. There's a hand up here in the front. And if you need a Bible don't have one at home or you need a new one, feel free to keep that one. It's our gift from us to you. Once you have it, please stand as we read God's word this morning. We're going to be in chapter 17. And right now we're only going to read verses 16 through 19, but we're going to reference his entire address that goes down all the way down to verse 34. But chapter 17 Verses 16 through 19, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, What does this babbler wish to say? Others said, He seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities, because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You may be seated. Pray that God's word will speak to us. All right, so while Paul was in Athens, he could have done what many of us would have done. He could have walked the city and played tourists and enjoyed all of its beauty. You see, the city had a lot to offer with its beautiful uh, statues and temples and views. If, if, if it were San Francisco, he would have visited the Golden Gate Bridge, right? He would have marveled at, 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 the, uh, at the painted ladies, and he would have been just raving about the views from Twin Peaks. But Paul skips the tourist attractions, like the Parthenon, which would have been amazing to see. And instead, we read in verse 16 that as he sees the incredible number of idols that are found in the city... It says that his spirit is provoked. His spirit is provoked. While in Athens, Paul is not impressed by the beauty of the city. No, he is troubled by the spiritual condition that the people find themselves in. We can actually say that in seeing what was taking place in Athens, Paul was jealous for God. Paul was jealous for God. Now, we, we tend to have a negative association with the word jealous. So it might surprise us how this word is used in the Bible. Look at Exodus thirty four fourteen. It's going to be on the screen. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. This is amazing to me. He's not just jealous. His name is jealous. And, and I was telling the first time, I, said, I, I smile every time I say that because it reminds me of like of a rapper's name, right? His, his name is Jealous. <laughs> Guys, we definitely need to have our understanding of jealousy refrained because we've always been told that jealousy is a bad thing. So what is jealousy? John Stout writes, jealousy is the resentment of rivals, But whether it is good or evil depends on whether the rival has any business to be there in the first place. 
Jealousy is the resentment of rivals. But whether it is good, of, or, good or evil depends on whether the rival has any business to be there in the first place. To be jealous of someone who outshines us in appearance or intelligence or athleticism, that's sinful. Because we cannot claim to have a monopoly in any of those areas. But in a marriage, if an affair takes place, the betrayed person's jealousy is righteous in that situation because the intruder has no right to be there. And it is the same with God who says in Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, meaning I am master. I am over everything. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carve idols. So our creator and redeemer has a right to our exclusive allegiance and worship and is jealous if we transfer it to anyone or anything else. As crazy as it may sound, God is jealous for you. He is jealous for your allegiance, jealous for your intimacy, jealous for your relationship, for all that you have to offer. And again, because Paul, Paul's view of God was big, he is jealous on behalf of God. He's bothered that God is not receiving his due honor and glory because it's being directed to false gods and insignificant idols. A commentator mentions that there are three motivators that influence us to share our faith with others. Obedience, compassion, or jealousy. Obedience to the Great Commission is a valid influence to get us to make disciples for Jesus. However, compassion or love for others is a much better motivator than obedience. But the highest incentive of all to make him known to others is zeal or jealousy for the glory of Jesus Christ. So despite these strong feelings of jealousy, which is a mixture of righteous anger and grief, Paul is seeing all of these idols, but he doesn't condemn the people of Athens. Instead, we read that in verse 17 that he begins to reason with them. He is gentle and civil. He even finds connection points with their culture in order to draw them in and not push them away. And we read that he reasons with people from all walks of life, with the Jews and the devout persons in the synagogue, with the common folk and business owners in the marketplace. And in verse 18, he even had conversations about Jesus and the resurrection with the philosophers of the city. So every day, Paul is just busy engaging with the people, interacting with them, reasoning with them. Now for us, it's important for us to note that Paul didn't, dis- didn't reserve spiritual discussions and conversations for the temple only. He didn't just have those conversations or discussions at the temple. It doesn't say that he only engaged with the religious professionals. I love that we are told that he was in the marketplace. He was in the marketplace. Why? What was Paul doing there? Guys, Paul understood that it wasn't just the religious professionals that worshiped the idols and false gods. Whether we are religious or not, we all worship something. Tim Keller writes that the human heart is an idol factory. 
an idol factory, which takes good things and makes them idols that drive us. So we may never find ourselves bowing down to pray before a statue, but very easily we make success, power, money, and sex the goal of life. If Paul were visiting the marketplace of San Francisco, our downtown, our tech companies, our workplaces, aren't these the idols that he would find? Listen, we can be non-religious, but if we are placing all of our hope and value in our performance and success, that type of idol is not too different than the graven images and altars that are worshipped. So Paul sees this. And he just can't sit back and do nothing. He says, let me tell you about a real and personal God that is worthy of your worship. Those other idols are slave masters. They are insatiable. You have to keep feeding them and offering sacrifices to them because it's never enough. You will never find security in them. They will remind you that you'll never have enough money. They won't let you forget that there's always someone more successful and more powerful than you. Oh, but he says... Let me tell you about a real and personal God, about a big God that can bear the weight of being at the center of your life. Listen, there is only one that is worthy of our worship. And we must remember that our view of God is directly correlated to our actual worship of God. What do I mean by that? Well, Do we see God as big and mighty and worthy of our praise? Or do we see him as distant and insignificant? The idols in our hearts are constantly trying to push God back and out of the picture. It's like any object. The the farther it gets, the smaller it gets. But worship, worship brings God back to the forefront of our hearts. In the Psalms, we are often reminded that we are to magnify God. But hear this. It's not possible for us to make God bigger. It's not possible. But through our worship, it is possible for us to see him bigger. And that's what we need to do. We need to see this big God. So Paul says to the Athenians, you've been worshiping the wrong gods. You've been making bigger the wrong things. So in verse 18... After some time of reasoning with the people, we read that they take Paul and bring him to the Areopagus, which is a a high court of sorts, because they want to hear more about these new teachings that Paul is preaching and presenting. And there's a lot that can be said about Paul's address. It's amazing how much content the man can pack in a few sentences. But here are a few key points in his message. Number one, God is creator of the universe. God is creator of the universe. Look at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Paul is a very logical preacher. He's basically saying, why would we conclude that the God that created the world and everything in it would then want one of his creations to make him a structure for him to live in. He says, how does that make sense? Parents, how many of you um, make the meal for your family and then you ask your toddler to make a meal for you? 
it's just not logical. And Paul makes a similar argument in verse 29 when he says, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. He's not an image that we can form or create. It doesn't make sense for us to think that we can house or confine the creator of the universe to a structure or a craft that we can make. Listen, if you have to go somewhere or be in a specific building or see a specific image in order to be with God, then that's not the same God that Paul is presenting. That's not the God of the Bible. The the psalmist writes, if I go to heaven, of course, you are there. But even if I make my bed in the grave, you are there too. We have a God that is omnipresent. He is everywhere, which means that he is close to each and every single one of us. He is close. A second point that Paul makes is that God is the sustainer of life. Verse 24 ends by saying, so God does not live in temples made by man. Verse 25, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Here's Paul's point. God continues to sustain the life that he creates. God continues to sustain the life that he created. There hasn't been a reversal of roles. We depend on God. He does not depend on us. And we need to take confidence in that God does not need for us to serve him, but he is the one that cares for us. Some of you have seen or heard this quote before. Don't tell God how big your problems are. Tell your problems how big God is. I question whether to share it because for me, it sounds a little cheesy, but I think it's, it's bringing across an important point. I don't think this quote is telling us that we should quit praying to God, but it's a reminder that we shouldn't view our problems as hopeless. Many of us are overburdened and discouraged because of our problems, but we should never be defeated by what we are, feeling, by what we are facing. We should never let those things defeat us. On the other hand, Paul says that the one that created you also sustains you and gives you life. He gives you breath. He gives you everything. And he is capable of taking care of what you need. And lastly, number three, God is redeemer. In verses 30 and 31, Paul gets to the focal point of his message. Here we see him use words like judge and righteousness and repent. And then it is believed, since we never see the name of Jesus mentioned, that Paul's speech is actually cut short once he references the resurrection. Because some of his hearers rejected the idea of the resurrection. But because of other letters that Paul wrote and because of the rest of the Bible that we have, we have an understanding of Paul's point here. And that is that we have a God that is both judge and savior. He is both judge and savior. We have a God that has a high standard in which we all fall incredibly short of because of our sin. But nevertheless, because of God's grace and mercy, he makes a way for us to be reconciled back to God and to be redeemed from our sin. And it's all through his son, Jesus Christ. And all we need to do is turn to him in faith. And the punishment that we deserve, like Brad was talking about earlier, is placed on him on the cross. And his righteousness is given to us. We can have a relationship with God because our God is Redeemer. He is Redeemer. 
Guys, this is a God unlike anything the Athenians have seen or heard of before. A big and personal God, one who is worthy of their worship, one who created the earth and everything in it, who is master and Lord of the universe. He is the sustainer of life. He is not dependent on his creation, but he is one that his creation can depend on. And even though he is big and powerful, he is also jealous and loving. He longs for us to be devoted to him and will stop at nothing to have us back, even sacrificing his own son to make that possible. So when you open yourself up to that God and accept his invitation to enter his story, your life is never the same. Your eternity is never the same. And that's the invitation that we all have before us today, to enter the story that God is writing, to encounter this big and personal God that loves us so much. So God's invitation is out for his creation to enter the story. And in verses 32 through 34, we read how Paul's hearers respond to his message. They responded in one of three ways. And I believe all of us fall into one of these categories. Some ridiculed Paul and rejected his message. Some were intrigued and wanted to hear more. And some believed and turned to God. My hope is that none of us are in that first category, but I can't decide for you. And I love and I'm glad that Epic has become a place where those who are in the second category who want to hear more feel comfortable and welcome to join us. Oh, but we are overjoyed when some people believe and turn to God and accept him as Savior. And if that's you, let us know. We just want to walk with you in your spiritual journey. We want to get you connected to the right people and to the right things here at Epic. It fills us with joy when people turn and accept him. But there are many of us that are already in that last group. We know God to be big and personal already. But our challenge, our challenge is to be provoked and become jealous for him and share him with others. When we share him with others, we will likely also see those three responses that I talked about. Some might reject the message. Some might even ridicule us. Others might be intrigued and want to hear more. And lastly, some might accept and believe the message of Jesus. But here's the thing, guys. Let's not miss out on seeing the second and third response because we are afraid of the first. What keeps most of us, myself included, from sharing our faith with others is fear. We are afraid of how we will be perceived. But think about this. The reason Paul took his faith to the marketplace was because he was unable to keep it contained to his private life. He couldn't keep it separate. It overflowed out of him to all the areas and to all the people in his life. There was no separation. That doesn't mean we don't use wisdom. That doesn't mean that we're not gentle But there can't be a separation with our faith. So let's begin to think about who we can begin to invest in and invite to church. And let's give others who God has created and is calling to himself the opportunity to also enter into his story. Let me pray for us.
Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul's example, which is always um, a challenge and an encouragement to see and read about. God, I, I, I pray many of us have been coming to church for months or years, and we've heard about you. And I pray that we will have a very genuine and real experience with you, God. Because you are a God who loves us, who cares for us. You are big and personal. You desire to have us close. And God, I thank you. I thank you personally that you opened up my eyes to see you for who you really are. And I pray that many will do the same here. And I pray that many others who already call you Lord and Savior would be challenged to share you with others. That people will come to mind, to our hearts, that we would begin to pray for and invest in and invite to church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the band is going to lead us in one last song. They're going to, it's a song about how much God loves us, how he is jealous for us. So let's just respond. Let's all stand and receive what God has for us.